Oh, hey, man. Uh, how have you been? It's been a sec since we recorded. What's going on in your life? Uh, pretty good. Everything's going good here. Family's good. Heather's been, you know, a little uh, under the weather, I guess. Oh, yeah? What's going on with her? I, you know, I don't know. Like, she's been not in the best mood, and she's starting to, like grow hair in weird places also she might have a tail now wait what about that how does that even work yeah i don't know what's up motherfuckers happy halloween you ready to talk about some fucking werewolves oh shit we are watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by movie monster boy Aaron and me, the cowardly co-host, Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. And the season of Spoop rolls on with me and Aaron this year tackling werewolves. And welcome back to the show. It's been a minute, and I mean this in every sense of the phrase, Aaron's better half, Heather. (laughs) Uh, The one who actually came up with the idea of creature feature style season of spoop with her suggestion of us doing witches last year. And now we're on to werewolves. So Heather, how have you been? I've been good. I'm really excited to come and talk about ginger snaps. This is one that I told Aaron years ago. Y'all are going to do a Ginger Snaps episode, and I'm going to be on it, and that's that. Yeah, There's from the no beginning. About it, so. yep. <laughs> I remember him bringing it up and saying, like, we're doing this movie, and when we do, Heather is going to be on it. Yeah, I'm glad it's here. Hell yeah. This seems like it's right up there for you with The Witch, or The Witch, or however you want to pronounce it. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites, and I don't think I've ever had this experience before watching a movie where I just feel in my head, the dissertation just writes itself. Yes. There's so <laughs> yeah. much I yeah. can say about this movie, and so much to talk about with it and so i really have sort of been bursting at the seams to uh come on and talk about the movie yeah and we will get to that in a second but like usual uh aaron fuck you i'm not gonna ask how you're doing we all know how you're doing Uh, (laughs) like usual we're gonna move on to our horror recommendations section of the show in which uh we talk about other horror that is not the movie we're covering be it other horror movies video games tv shows comics books etc and we recommend them or at least talk about them with each other and then hopefully you our audience here's something that you may want to check out so with that we always go with the guest first heather have you been getting into anything uh spooky related lately so i haven't been reading anything too ooky spooky right now nothing that would be traditionally considered horror but the book i've been currently reading is called without you there is no us by suki kim and it is a reported memoir about a woman's experience going undercover in North Korea as a teacher. Whoa. (laughs) A little dark. So it's not traditionally a horror movie, but sort of learning about some of the horrific things the regime is doing in North Korea and sort of how that regime exerts control has been pretty scary and unnerving, sort of like a in a psychological horror sense. Yeah. It's definitely not a horror novel, but it's been super interesting to learn more about, you know, North Korea, which is a place where nobody really sees inside. Yeah. So yeah, if you're interested in maybe cults or psychological horror or manipulation, things like that, if that kind of gets under your skin, I think this book, even though it's not a traditional horror book, I definitely think it has some scary elements and could be really interesting if those are things you like in horror. I could totally see how that can be pretty terrifying read, but at the same time fascinating. Uh, kind of like, especially if you're you're kind of into world history or modern world history, mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a 
good book to pick up. Shit, I might have to like check that out eventually. Uh, we also went and saw the new Candyman. Oh, fuck yes. Yeah, it was way much more of a direct sequel than I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, which was definitely a surprise, but not an unwelcome one. Yeah, I fucking loved it. Like Heather said, I was very, very surprised how much it connects back to the original movie. Definitely ignores the sequels. While ignoring, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the best part. But it kind of reworks the entire lore and the mechanisms and the rules a little bit but in ways that I really dig. I really, really love the look and the feel of it. There were lots of moments where you had those Kubrick-esque long takes where it just slowly zooms in or zooms out on somebody as they're having a conversation. And so you feel uncomfortable with the length that the shots hold for and you feel like you're watching something that you shouldn't be watching or that you're eavesdropping. There's lots of that Polanski effect where people are just out of the frame that you psychologically kind of bend your head or your neck to see around that corner and the camera is kind of purposely keeping you from going there nice so yeah all the camera work and it was great the performances were excellent i definitely feel like nia DaCosta was this was her you know big movie to direct and she definitely wanted to show out a little bit you know yeah. there's so many like interesting shots and interesting camera work in the movie where she's showing like okay you're gonna give me this movie well here i go like i'm gonna prove it to you that i deserve this and i definitely think she did well and yeah and the cool thing too is i heard her on a podcast. I want to say it was maybe Blank Check. It was probably Blank Check because they're doing Carpenter right now and she was on their episode for The Fog. Oh no, it wasn't that. Oh, I didn't realize she was on The Fog episode so I'll need to go back and listen to that. Yeah. Uh, I listened to one, you know, like a year ago that she was on where they talked about a different horror movie, I think. Just kind of listening to her talk was interesting because she is also like a horror nerd and is kind of our age range. So it's pretty cool that like she got handed the keys to Candyman and everything I've read about it and seen about it has been just nothing but glowing reviews about how good it is. And I am excited to see what she does with the Marvel movie that she is going to be directing. It technically, I think, is the Captain Marvel sequel, but now they're kind of reworking it to where it's not just going to be Captain Marvel in the movie. I don't know what's going on with that project. So the connection is it's called The Marvels, and it's still technically Captain Marvel 2, but they're bringing in Miss Marvel from her TV show that's coming out later this yeah. year. And then they're also bringing bringing in Tiona Paris, who was Monica Rambeau. I guess, are they calling her Photon, or are they calling her Spectrum? Well, in the comics, she's Spectrum, but... Yeah, she goes by both in the comics at one point or another, so I don't... I can't remember, like, what they're calling her officially in the MCU, but her character, she's also in Candyman. She's the female lead in Candyman. Oh, shit, I didn't know that that actress was the one in Candyman. That's awesome. She's great, and Tiana Paris is the closest any human has ever looked to a Disney princess in real life. Like, she just has big eyes. She's, like, glowingly beautiful. Like, she's great in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm really, really excited to see more of her because she was very, very good in WandaVision. Yeah, I loved her in WandaVision. And she was very good in this. I'm I'm definitely going to be like seeking out more stuff with her in it. She was great. Yaya Mateen was excellent. Same thing, like... Everything I see him in, he's been great so far. I really, really like the way that they set up how Candyman kind of works in this 
story, and I will not really explain anything more than that because it will kind of spoil what happens in the movie and how things kind of flow. Yeah. yeah. But really solid stuff. I was also kind of iffy on the music because that Philip Glass score from the original is so iconic. That's the only criticism I would really give is this movie maybe goes there in some moments. Like, there are some moments where the soundtrack is really, really big and bombastic and kind of does an electronic, slightly industrial version of all the arpeggiation and stuff like that that Philip Glass is doing in that original score with the organ stuff. But it doesn't really hold through the entire movie. Like, it only kind of pops up in, like, these two or three moments. And I wish that the score was maybe a little bit bigger in the movie. But overall, gorgeous, great performances. I really love the story. Cannot wait to watch it again, for sure. How scary was it? I think it's more creepy, like creeping dread than... Sure, yes. I prefer that, so... (laughs) I think it's about the same as the original, where it's kind of a good mix of dread and creep, but then there's also a handful of jump scares in it. There are. And you criticize me for this all the time, but yeah, I didn't find it scary. Yeah, but you're... I was smiling ear to ear the entire fucking thing. You're the scarecrow, as I've established. Yeah, so, you know, I enjoyed the shit out of it. Definitely some unsettling imagery, and I think it's called trypophobia, the, the holes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely a very pretty intense trypophobia scene. If that freaks you out. Hell yeah. yeah. Enjoy Candyman. <laughs> and I mean, if you've seen the original, I guess, go into this one knowing that this is really, really, really what the underlying story is about. And, you know, this is something that I kind of had written down about Ginger Snaps is horror has to be about something to really, really transcend. Yeah. You know, you can have fun thrills and you can have shocks and gore and scares and all that. But like what sets apart all the good ones is there is a story. There's something more there. There is commentary. There is satire. There is something under the surface, right? Below like what just the horror trappings are. And that's what sticks in your head. And, you know, obviously the original Candyman is about violence toward blacks in America. That is what the movie is largely about. It's about black oppression in America and how black people have been treated throughout the entire history of the country. This movie is also very much picking up on those themes and keeping it modern. So I guess as a disclaimer, you know, if we're talking about is this movie scary, you know, I would say no. The horror trappings to me are not scary in this movie. What is scary and disturbing is the actual underlying message. Yeah, it's like exactly. real life shit. And it's real stuff that we've all lived through and experienced. When I asked you how scary it is, I was more referring to just the traditional horror trappings of like, is yeah, this a haunted yeah, yeah, house yeah. movie? Yeah. Well, I, I say that because I have black friends and co-workers who don't want to see more of that in their daily lives, right? It's shit they have to live with and, like, exist around in their actual lives day to day. And it's shit that they're constantly having to think about in the back of their heads. And they don't necessarily always want to, like, go see a movie and have a fun time and unwind and, like, oh, shit, the movie is this 
So I guess that's the disclaimer I would say is that is what this movie is about. That's what the original is about. You know, know that kind of going in, I guess. If you are extra sensitive to that right now, especially, you know, given the last couple of years, just know, like, brace yourself a little bit for that. Because the, like, oh shit, Scary Man popped up out of nowhere is not going to get you as much as some of the other, like, deeper real life shit. Yeah, and Candyman, I think, is fundamentally really interested in the story of trauma over time and how trauma echoes through our communities over time if we don't resolve it and how something that happened a long time ago can still resonate in the present. This movie especially is really concerned about that. Yeah. And it's, you know, really interesting. But at the same time, that's pretty heavy. And you, yeah. know, you have to be in the right mindset for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Y'all have any other recommendations you want to throw our way? Uh, Yeah, I've got a couple. So I have read through basically the first story arc of friend of the show Cullen Bunn's new series Phantom of the Scan and it has been a lot of fun um, the artwork in it is pretty stellar it's a group of people who all have various types of weird psychic powers and they are all being killed off one by one in very weird ways and they all kind of come together and they all decide okay we got to figure out what's actually happening meanwhile they are being hunted by another person with weird powers who is out to get them and has ulterior motives that are yet to be fully revealed. But the first arc of that series is now finished and it was pretty fucking good. So I would definitely recommend check that one out again. That is Phantom of the Scan. Any like references to scanners? I mean it definitely has some of that. Yeah. I mean it's, it's people with psychic powers on the run and lots of extreme gore. There are even a few instances of people's heads getting and blowed up. Hell so. yeah. <laughs> Scanner style, baby. Definitely still some of that. Next thing I would bring up is Dario Argento's The Cat O Nine Tales. That is the second of the animal trilogy movies that Arrow has put out on 4K in the last few months. Including Why Don't Ducks Cry in the Bathtub <laughs> and My Creepy Butterfly Cries on the Wall. Yeah. <laughs> we were joking the other night about like Giallo titles. Yeah, I can't tell if you're joking or not because those could totally totally be giallo title <laughs> yeah so yeah the other there one is, is one about ducklings bird with the crystal plumage is the other one no you're thinking of don't torture a duckling yep. which is lucio fulci but yeah oh, same no. thing it's still giallo and it's still like the same stupid naming thing <laughs> the other one is four flies on gray velvet yes <laughs> there has got to be a dario argento movie title generator somewhere online there is there, there is. is. That's what we pulled up the other night and we're playing around with. It was pretty good. But yeah, the 4K restoration of this movie is pretty fucking killer. Like, for movies that were shot so fucking long ago with fairly low budgets that have probably not been well taken care of, Arrow's done a pretty fucking good job of restoring these movies and it's kind of wild that we have these on 4K. And like usual, Arrow does a crazy good job with all their stuff. Excellent release. Fun whodunit. Definitely a little more tame than all of Argento's later stuff gets because it's more straightforward giallo. There's not really any supernatural things happening in this one. But yeah, definitely worth checking out. It's on streaming pretty readily available across several streaming platforms. So that's always a fun one to throw on if you're on a giallo kick. Second one I would bring up is the new Vestron title. They have been putting out a bunch of random stuff in the past year 
here, but at a way better price, honestly. Right. Um, like half the price that their movies were before, because they seemingly killed that Vestron Blu-ray line for a little while, and then all of a sudden it just came back with like little monsters and shivers, and now the new one, Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat, which is a vampire western directed by Anthony Hickox, who did Waxwork and Hellraiser 3, and... I, all of a sudden, just fucking, like, memories started flooding back watching this movie. I saw a giant chunk of this at my, like, Aunt Pat, who's deep, weird end of our family that I only saw when I was, like, little, saw a giant chunk of this at her house one Christmas. The whole idea is the master of all vampires, Count Mardulak, played by <laughs> fucking David Carradine from Kill Bill yeah, yeah. and Kung Fu, he is getting all the vampires around the world together they all decide okay times are changing we need to like stick together so they all move to a fucking town out in the american west and they all live there and they have a factory where they're trying to like synthesize blood so they don't have to hunt humans and of course there's a old pilgrim ass vampire guy who's like no we need to go back to the old days we were hunters we murdered people blah 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 it's ridiculous it's straight up horror comedy the cast is kind of wild other than uh david carradine bruce campbell is in it. Deborah Foreman from Valley Girl is also in it. Yeah, the cast is kind of bananas. Really dumb, really goofy, really fun. Oh, Dana Ashbrook from Twin Peaks is also in it, also playing like a grunge shithead guy. So it was definitely goofy, but a lot more fun than I, I remembered from growing up because I just saw like weird parts of it. So yeah, that one was definitely fun. And then the last thing I'll talk about is Prisoners of the Ghostland, which I just watched a day or so ago. This is the new Nick Cage movie directed by Sion Sono, who has done a lot of batshit stuff. This is what happens when you give an AI chatbot the task of writing a remake of Escape from New York with Nick Cage. <laughs> it makes no fucking sense. It's just full of insane, over-the-top, artsy-fartsy shit. I Google image search Prisoners of the Ghostland and just, I don't know what I'm looking at in half these images. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little Escape from New York. It's a little Mad Max. It's a little Science Sono's crazy Japanese art style movie. And there's like a lot of Terry Gilliam in it as well, too. But the, I mean, the basic thing is Nick Cage was the ultimate badass criminal guy. And he's been locked away for years. And Bill Mosley from Texas Chainsaw 2 is the governor. And he's got on a white cowboy hat and suit and everything. And his granddaughter, in air quotes, ran away, played by Sophia Butella. She is now in the like danger zone outside of this protected city, right? And so they get Nick Cage out of jail and task him with going to bring her back. And of course they like put him in a leather suit with, you know, bombs on the hands and the neck and then like the testicles. He goes out into the Japanese crazy wasteland full of nuclear mutants and scrappers and all this other shit to go rescue her. And there's this whole other subplot about the bomb dropping again and these people who are all trying to stop this clock from going off. All kinds of wild shit. Nick Cassavetes is also in it in a weird role. Wild, wild shit. I was kind of laughing the entire way through even though none of it really made any sense. You know how it is with a lot of Nick Cage movies, people People are just like, okay, well, it's just Nick Cage going crazy, but it makes the movie bad because the rest of the movie is not on that level. Well, this is a movie where, like, everybody else is also operating at 11.
Seven along with Nick Cage. It's not just, yeah. And so it all kind of fucking fits. So yeah, that one was definitely a wild time. I didn't watch that movie with Aaron, but I was in the room for part of it. And I'm pretty sure the entire time I was in the room, there was no line of dialogue that was not screamed. basically it is just nick cage doing his nick cage screaming thing and bill mosley doing his screaming thing and then like you know lots of japanese actors doing their screaming thing like it's just everybody dialed up to 11 so if you're into like weird terry gilliam-esque shit with a little bit of that like i said mad max or escape from new york vibe and you like crazy nick cage this is certainly a movie to check out so again yeah prisoners of the ghost land so that's all i've got so what do you have sir oh i think you all know what's coming so <laughs> let me guess more halloween more michael myers yep if you didn't listen to our uh last episode the start of season of spoop first off go do that what are you doing second off i said that i just randomly got in my head that i wanted to go through all the halloween movies uh minus halloween three so all the michael myers halloween movies including rob zombies two and the newer two that just dropped but last episode i talked through about one two and four which i i was a little cold on four although four was enjoyable four is a masterpiece compared to the ones that i just (laughs) went through i told you so since then i have watched halloween five the revenge of michael myers halloween six the curse of michael myers halloween h2o halloween returns or or halloween 20 years later and then the sequel to halloween h2o halloween resurrection so i haven't gotten to the rob zombie movies yet but i got into these Oh, Jesus Christ. So, um, (laughs) well, technically Halloween 4 through 6 is the Thorn trilogy. Really, I would say it's Halloween 5 and 6 are the Thorn dual movies because really 4, like Thorn isn't brought up in 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 4 4, like at all. And 4 is all the better for it, let me tell you. So, like I said last episode, we are eventually down the line going to like do the Halloween movies besides Halloween 3 and we are going to tackle Michael Myers. So, I'm not going to do like super full in-depth explanations of these movies. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you really want mindless, dumb slash fun they're watchable except for halloween resurrection i'll get to that um but if you want to just watch michael myers murder a 20 something year old who's trying to be a teenager and using a lot of boner jokes and you want to see michael myers impale him with farm tools hey five and six will like scratch that itch so starting off with halloween five the revenge of michael myers directed by dominique othenon gerard i hope i pronounced that right killing off rachel in the beginning, uh, oh, sorry, spoiler alert. But killing off <laughs> Rachel in the beginning of five after her role in four as like kind of the protector Worst final fucking war. mistake. Fucking sucked. And having Tina step up as Jamie's protector sucked even more because Tina fucking sucked yeah. in this movie. I wrote down halfway through like, this is just Donald Pleasance terrorizing a little girl and children in an orphanage in general for no fucking reason. <laughs> but at the same time, there was some charm because of Michael Myers was a little bit of a stinker in this movie because he like stole that guy's muscle car after killing him on purpose and scratching it to piss the guy off. But holy shit, 
out of all the slasher movies I've watched, Halloween and otherwise, never have I wished death on teenagers played by adults more than any other slashers. So this movie did a good <laughs> job of making me actively root for Michael Myers. Of course, I didn't want him to kill Jamie. She was a little girl. But as far as all the other teenagers and adults went in this movie, yeah, fuck them. I wanted Michael Myers to kill them all. So Halloween 5 was pure dumb, but not quite dumb enough to be unwatchable. So there's that. I think the sin that it commits... And the thing is, if you ask me what is my least favorite of the Halloween sequels, it's gonna bounce between Resurrection 5 and 6. 6 even, like, that producer's cut is maybe a little bit better. Oh, so I'll get into that. But yeah. at the end of the day, I think the problem with 5 specifically, while we're still on that one, is 5 is just boring. It is. 5 is just dull. 5 is definitely the one that you kind of get through because you're watching the entire series like you're doing, but otherwise, I have literally literally never heard anybody be like you know what i would love to watch halloween five yeah because like six and i guess you could even make an argument for resurrection although i personally fucking hated that one are <laughs> bug nuts enough that if you want to get wasted and watch it with friends sure then exactly. it's something there but like five it was fun to watch him kill teenagers who sucked and it was fun to watch him use farm tools but other than that that was about it and then kind of glossing over slash retconning the end of four also really sucked because i thought the end of four was was a really interesting turn that the franchise could have taken and it didn't exactly. like having Jamie yeah. step up to be like the new Michael Myers imagine if they stuck with that and like they turned Jamie into like this female slasher you either kill off or just take Michael out of the equation at the end of four and then like have Jamie for like at least another movie or two like be the new Michael Myers that'd be fucking interesting but they didn't do that and instead they turned her into a mute girl who miraculously gets her voice back like halfway through this movie whatever five is a yeah. mess <laughs> but Oh boy, six. So uh, six, It's it was interesting. Six was directed by Joe Chappelle. This was actually Donald Pleasant's final film appearance. Bless his heart, Donald Pleasant did the best he could in these movies to really carry like five <laughs> and six. But here's my thoughts about Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, six. Immediately, right off the bat, you see that old Dimension Films logo. Then you see a young Paul Rudd. And then there's like immediately glossy as fuck filters. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everyone, that's listening uh michael myers has officially entered the 90s is what this movie was like basically <laughs> jamie is done fucking dirty in this movie in the same way that rachel was done dirty in five uh after having jamie kind of live through and get traumatized through four and five it kind of fucking sucks what happens there in this movie and let's stop there for a second slasher movies especially but horror in general has always had the treatment of women hasn't always been the best with horror and slashers in particular before and six get a special weird with main female characters Laurie is killed off screen before 4 even starts Yes. Rachel gets killed off early in 5 Tina dies in 6 although Tina was insufferable but she does steps up as the protector character and dies in 5 Jamie gets traumatized through 3 films gets abducted by the cult of Thorn if you're watching the producer's cut it's possible that she was impregnated against her will by Michael Myers the baby gets taken away she escapes with the baby only to get Michael catching up to her and getting stabbed by Michael and then getting killed by the man in black like later on in the movie and then when you first are introduced to Kara Strode in this movie she immediately undresses into her bra and panties which uh, then Paul Rudd is watching her from the fucking across the street in this movie it does that 90s bullshit where it's these weird music video-esque Myers flashes of random scenes and visions like yeah. 90s music video nonsense that we complained about in the Mothman prophecies 
I will say Tommy Doyle growing up to be like a reclusive, weird conspiracy theorist being one of the plot points is actually kind of one I enjoyed. That was, yeah, of course, Tommy, after the events of the very first Halloween, like would probably be scarred like that. But they just don't really go a whole lot of anywhere with it. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. I will say DJ Barry Sims was such a satisfying kill. Maybe the best (laughs) in the series, like including the first Halloween. Michael Myers kind of teleports all over the place to this movie, but I didn't care because if it meant that DJ Barry Sims got killed, I was all for it. I thought the movie otherwise was pretty fine as a slasher movie until the last 20 minutes. And then everything about the Cult of Thorn fucking sucks to a point where it just drives the entire thing off a cliff. Yeah. If this was the plot of an original slasher and maybe not the Halloween franchise, it might have worked. But I just thought Wynn, who was the man in black, Wynn is just a shitty version of the villain from Halloween 3, especially in the producer's cut ending. Like you, Aaron, despite the implied rape, I do think the producer's cut ending is better from a filmmaking standpoint because it actually flows with the rest of the movie because the original ending, I watched both endings, the original ending makes no fucking sense. Yeah. It looks like a completely different movie. Like, that's so jarring and there's no explanation as are they controlling Michael or not, whereas the producer cut actually explains that they are trying to control Michael. So whatever. So, like, if you're going to watch this movie, I guess watch the producer's cut. It is fun to see a young Paul Rudd, I guess. And it is kind of fun to watch a train wreck of a movie. But, like, holy shit, that was also a tough one to get through. So, interesting that you mention when is basically just the shitty Connell Cochran. I want to say that sometime back, I heard from somebody involved with the production in some interview that originally in the script, that character was supposed to be Connell Cochran. And that was going to be kind of how they like tied in Halloween 3 somehow weird or another. And then somebody was just like, nah, that's too much. Just make this a different character. That would have been interesting. I don't know how, if it would have made the movie any better, but it would have been interesting. Well, that would have been interesting too, because the movie Halloween 1 is in universe with Halloween 3. Like it's on the TV. Like, yeah. oh yeah, after Halloween, you know, watch the countdown or whatever. So like it is a movie in the Halloween 3 universe. So how would that work, right? You know, like what if... The- the Stonehenge teleported him to the actual Halloween universe. And that's like how they explain <laughs> Multiverse. So now let's go up to Halloween H2O 20 years later, uh, which is a fucking awful title for this movie, by the way. But yes, it makes no sense. It, so it was the 20th anniversary of Halloween, like when it came out, right? No, I get that. But like, but H2O yeah, is so dumb. Yeah. Just call it Halloween 20 years later or Halloween 20 or whatever. Anyway, it came out in 1998. Halloween XX. Yeah, Halloween XX. It's directed by Steve Miner. Thank Christ Jamie Lee Curtis is finally back. So I will say, as low of a watch through getting through all these movies, H2O is a bright spot, and I don't know if that's just because it's in between 5, 6, and Resurrection, and I was just starved for any actual good Halloween, or if it's an actual, like, decent sequel in the franchise. But I remember this movie back when I was in elementary school, like, when it was coming out, the marketing around it was pretty fierce. Yeah. I remember, like, it being kind of a big deal when it was dropping, and then... And I just remember it coming and going and no one really making that much of a fuss about it. But granted, it was 98. I was a little kid and I totally forgot Halloween Resurrection even existed until like I started watching these again. But Halloween H2O 20 years later was at least a competent slasher movie unlike the others. It was fun to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt getting murdered in the very beginning. (laughs) It was a breath of fresh air from the Thorn trilogy. It was so, so nice to see Jamie Lee Curtis and Laurie again. Anything she's in, she 
makes better. The orchestral version of the Halloween theme was kind of neat with all the news clippings. It was very true crime TM. Yeah. Thanks for Josh Hartnett and feature films, I guess, Halloween H2O. But man, did the false jump scares in this movie get old real fast. I also wrote down that LL Cool J was very bad at his job in this movie. And actually, like something I did kind of appreciate that I thought was an interesting thing that the movie decided to do was that actually takes Michael and Lori coming face to face a surprising a long amount of time in this movie. But then like the final kind of confronting each other, there's only like 30 minutes left after that. And so the movie really comes and goes very quickly. I did think the final confrontation with Lori like holding an axe, screaming Michael as like the piano version of the Halloween theme. Like it wasn't like a good horror scene, but it was a good fuck yes scene. And so was beheading him at the end with the axe. Yeah. Those were two like I wanted to get up and clap kind of moments, I guess. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is is this the one where Lori's an alcoholic and kind of done with fucking everything and kind of washed up or is that Resurrection? So the Resurrection is the one where she starts in the insane asylum. Okay, then that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember like which one of these was which from her standpoint. Okay. She's like the principal of like a prep school. Yeah, yeah. And her son is one of the people who lives at the school and her son's Josh Hartnett. It's interesting. Again, no one ever talks about Halloween H2O these days. I guess since the Rob Zombie movies dropped and then the new ones are coming out now. I didn't hate it. It was entertaining enough. I think the problem like we were talking about offline is the timeline is just fucking messy and the continuity is messy and so which ones do you actually count as sequels because they kind of all step on each other's toes and negate each other and act like oh the other ones didn't happen. So like which ones do you actually hold on to and in your head canon say this is part of the series right? Yeah and Halloween H2O only counts one and two like but then like during the credits they like reference four five and six when they're doing like that true crime tm montage at the beginning they show like pictures of kills from the other four five and six but i guess those were just negated or they were just other things michael did on the side it's weird and i did read that they decided to cut the scene but there was a scene where they were gonna make four five and six canon by having showing Lori find out that jamie was killed in six and like her breaking down over that like she did keep tabs on her but they decided to just remove that out of the movie and only make it a sequel to one and two so <laughs> h2o was fine it was a much needed break in between curse of michael myers and then halloween resurrection halloween resurrection holy fuck this might be the worst <laughs> halloween movie i've ever seen michael myers is like a shark yeah it came out in 2002 it was directed by rick rosenthal who happened to direct halloween 2 back in 1981 yeah this movie just felt like the producers own the rights to michael myers and they just want to churn another one out because h2o made more money than they thought and they wanted to really just milk that cash cow it's a fucking mess. This is the one with Busta Rhymes. This is the one where Busta Rhymes does Kung Fu on Michael Myers at one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, they kill off Lori in the beginning, which sucks. And then, like, I guess Michael Myers has just been living underneath his own house, dot, 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 for, like, a year in hibernation. This was just, isn't the internet cool, y'all? Like, 2002, like, the movie. We just found out we can do webcam shows. And that was, yeah. like, the whole premise of it. There were so many horror movies that we're rolling with that around that same time yeah it was just so much this is the internet tam and somehow this movie has aged worse than any of the other halloween movies and it came out in 2002 and all the other ones came out during like the 80s and 90s there were so many sexist jokes jokes that didn't land 
Buster Rhymes was acting on a different planet, but it wasn't even like that manic, crazy energy that's entertaining to watch. It was just trash. It wasn't even fun <laughs> trash. It was just trash trash. I know you were saying earlier, Aaron, that you go back and forth between is this the worst one or is five or six? To me, this is way worse than five and six. I, I don't know. This movie really fucking rubbed me the wrong way. He calls Michael Myers motherfucker a bunch of times. That happens. <laughs> That one's also got a bad mask, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, the mask fucking changes in every movie, and that's always been the baffling thing, is we fucking know that the original mask was a William Shatner Star Trek or The Devil's Reign, I can't remember which one, but it was a William Shatner mask that they spray-painted fucking white and threw the hair out. So how the fuck does the mask end up being so different in every movie (laughs) and going from like looking okay and passable to like awful what weird mannequin head did y'all spray paint and made a mask out of it you know like it doesn't look anything like the original mask in so many instances so like how do they fuck that up so often well it's kind of interesting because i think where i saw the glaring difference between the mask but it actually did kind of work was in halloween 4 whenever jamie was having like her vision of like michael like stalking her in her bedroom that mask that he was wearing where you can really see like his eyes it wasn't trying to like make him black you could actually see his human eyes that was like one of the creepier versions of that mask but yeah i feel (laughs) you like i said i'm curious to see what your thoughts are after the zombie movie yeah because in some ways they're gonna be exactly what you're expecting but then in other ways i think they're gonna maybe surprise you a little bit and i still come down on like i generally like them enough two is a mess but but I really am interested in what he was trying to do with two. So yeah, I'm very curious to like see what your reaction is after you watch those at least. So yeah, you know, before we record the next one, I guess, try to knock those two out so we can talk about those. Oh no, yeah, I want to. Also curious with the guests we're going to potentially have on for that episode, what their thoughts are too. Yeah. So I mean, at this point in time, after watching all of them, Halloween one is a must see classic, one of the best movies ever made. But as far as like the sequels go, so far i'd say two and four are worth watching h2o maybe is worth watching holy fucking shit five six and resurrection can just like be thrown in a garbage can and lit on fire for all i care but uh yeah i mean that's it i'll just only talk about the halloween movies i've seen i have some other recommendations i'll save those for our next episode i guess all right i guess with that let's get down to business and let's talk about werewolf shit and uh puberty and all the other fun things that come along with that say periods aaron periods <laughs> so yeah by now you know we are doing the canadian 2000 werewolf puberty coming of age horror movie ginger snaps ginger snaps ginger snaps it's a good double entendre title there for two sisters together forever United against life as we know it. With an appetite for the macabre. I'm slitting my throat. You should definitely hang. All it takes is one night. And one bite. Let's get out of here. dog maybe did i change last night how would the moon ginger's changing how do you feel wicked 
being normal teenage girls. She's gone. Ginger snaps and bites. We're almost not even related anymore. So, Heather, this is your movie. Let's let you get the yeah. first word in on this. I love this movie, and this movie is so interesting to me because, to me, it's just full of contradictions to an extent that make it really interesting. Obviously, this movie has the reputation of being a werewolf puberty movie. Oh, it's about werewolves and periods. You know, that's definitely the big thing that comes up. And yeah, it is that, you know, the period has a 28 day cycle and the moon has a 28 day cycle. You know, there is some matchup there. And of course, the lycanthropy does hit as sort of ginger menstruates for the first time. But I feel like the period analysis is just so surface level. Okay, yes, that's there, but it's not the most interesting part to me yeah. by any means. And so it's there, but I hope that when we talk about it, we can go a little bit deeper than that because I feel like there's so yeah, many more Yeah, because it's not even the say. subtext. Like, especially now at this point, I mean, the movie's 20 years old. It's not even the subtext. Like, it's just the surface level text of the movie. But I agree with you. Like, I think what's interesting is the idea of toxic relationships, which we kind of covered in Jennifer's Body a little bit. So I was going to say, like, this would make a great double feature at Jennifer's Body. It has a lot of the yeah. same sensibilities as that movie. Yeah. I would say Ginger Snaps leans a little more, like, on a serious side. Mm-hmm. There's an argument to be made that Ginger Snaps is not just a horror movie, but a comedic horror movie. I don't know if it leans all the way into comedy. Not like Jennifer's Body. Not like Jennifer's Body does, but this would make a pretty good double feature. So Jennifer's Body and Ginger Snaps are both horror movies that are very aware of patriarchy, feminism, and women's roles in society. They're very conscious of the roles that women are forced to play traditionally, what's expected of women, and they are both playing with those ideas and so yeah I think that's a great idea for a double feature for sure what I think this movie is really about to me more than puberty or more than werewolves ginger to me represents the female appetite when she turns her turning into a werewolf starts with her you know being interested in sex being interested in drugs coming out of her shell being more forceful with what she says you know really sharing her feelings And on one hand, it looks super badass. Like there's that great scene where she walks into the hallway and everybody in the school is like stopping to stare at her like new werewolf hotified. (laughs) The new hotness of ginger. The new hot shit, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, this is a movie in the early 2000s. You know, we were not as woke back in 2000 as we are in 2021. And so even though this movie, you know, at first makes Ginger's transformation out to be kind of cool and sexy, Ginger still can't escape getting punished by this movie. Like, right? At the end, she's still the villain. And Bridget, her sister, her closest friend, companion, person that she has in her life, still is condemning her. Ginger still has to die at the end. And so it walks this really interesting line of being so conscious of what's expected of women and so conscious of the way that women get the short shrift in society while also not letting Ginger get away with expressing her, you know, female wants and desires. It's super interesting. Yeah. 
Well, and on top of all that, too, so the thing that struck me the most, uh, and I apologize to our listeners, uh, the hotel I'm at right now has decided to pressure wash right outside my window as we record. So anyway, uh, beyond that annoying bit, the thing that really struck me with this movie and, and kind of why, like, in my head, I thought immediately that this would be a great double feature with Jennifer's body is that where Jennifer's body really kind of explored friendship between two women going through puberty and, and their teenage years, this more explores sisterhood. I really, really loved the relationship between her and her sister throughout this movie. Like, I love both of them doing, like, their death projects where they, like, take those Polaroid shots of them committing suicide and all that and, like, in all these different ways. No one understanding it except for, like, maybe some of the other kids who think it's badass, but otherwise it's, like, their thing. But just, like, kind of how they kind of evolve throughout the movie, like, their dynamic is really interesting. So, quick aside, I did think, like, at the beginning of the movie when they show, like, the montage of all their like suicide art projects i thought of that scene from it's always sunny in philadelphia where like frank turns the camera and goes suicide's badass and they're like no it's not stop it frank it reminds me of all the scenes from harold and Maude where he's just fantasizing about fucking dying because it very much is that standard teenager growing up in the suburbs kind of thing where like you just fucking hate where you live and you hate your school and you hate the people around you especially when you're different yeah and you have that weird juxtaposition of superiority complex of i'm above everything i'm smarter than everybody around me but then you also have that oh but i'm weird so i'm ostracized and i'm alienated and i kind of just wish i had friends at the end of the day kind of thing as well you know yeah as much as i do love the sisters they definitely very much suffer from I'm not like other girls syndrome. Yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, and the interesting part of it is that throughout the movie, Ginger kind of more embraces interacting with other people, right? Granted, you know, in the ways that you had described earlier. But the thing that's interesting with Bridget is like, she's almost in a way tried to give in and like stick to her guns of being like, no, I am different and ostracized and fuck this town. And like, you're actually interested in those boys now. It was interesting to see how she would react to some of Ginger's first bit of behavior changes that she had which i thought was also kind of an interesting take yeah because it's definitely like a big sibling little sibling yeah yeah thing for sure her holier than thou attitude about how ginger's growing up and changing and like heather said discovering these new appetites she suddenly has yeah and bridget just being like oh god my sister is smoking marijuana well and also too like a little bit of the way emily perkins plays it in this movie is i think bridget's afraid of losing ginger like oh totally yeah. ginger turning into like just everyone else we, we've been making fun of this entire time that was the big takeaway and the, the thing with the sisters talk about another movie that you could kind of like put in the realm of these uh and one that heather i know that you and i both like what the fuck by the end excision the way that the main girl in excision acts ginger and even bridget kind of take on some of her mannerisms the way she views the rest of high school uh and everyone around her and maybe you could turn it into a triple feature and really fuck up your evening by ending on excision. <laughs> yeah, really. Because excision also has an extremely tragic dark ending. Yeah, I mean, clearly you see from very early on in this movie, you know, not that I want to excuse their suicide fetishization because I know that's definitely a little problematic, but... It bothers at, me, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily want to excuse that, but... You see when they present their project at the school, the teacher there is just like, you know, I'm sickened by this. This is awful, you know, 
they have no outlet for their feelings. They're not given any sort of recognition by anybody in their community. We've talked about this time and time again, especially in horror movies like this. It's a failure of the adults as well. Yeah, totally. Instead of just being like, oh, there's something going on with these girls. Let's try and like help them and like figure out like why they're doing these projects. It's very ostracizing like that teacher shames them for that project like immediately because he just talks about how sick to his stomach he is and then like yells at them and tells them they're in trouble instead of like hey maybe we should have a conversation as to why this isn't okay what's also kind of funny and sad at the same time is as much as we're saying that literally one of the things i wrote down was oh that's how you know this is in canada and not america because a lot of these adults are actually being empathetic and understanding and kind of helpful in a lot of sense <laughs> the school nurse just being like real frank about the sex ed part of it and then being like here's some actual condoms use these please don't be dumb that would never fucking fly in america so that was a breath of fresh air because us americans didn't get that from our schools like <laughs> yeah no well and also too i appreciate it because like they kind of set up at first the mom is going to be like the typical like mom in this kind of situation of fail the children but then the mom's ready to fucking like burn down her life to make sure like that her girls are taken care of okay yeah <laughs> it was just like that was not what the route i was expecting for her character to go in i love that so much at the end like i really love the mom i love her bows yeah i love her curly cute little hair sticking out of her ponytail that is so of the time her fucking poodle hairpins yeah. yes love the mom <laughs> that she's ready to just literally burn the house down and go on the run with her daughters yeah and sort of the sad thing is the mom is the one character who i I think really does sort of get Ginger and Bridget. She's not like them, but she clearly cares about them and is just letting them do their thing. Like when she finds the fingers in the garden, she's not scared. She's like, oh, it's just my daughters. Ha ha. You know, yeah. as different as they are. And look, this is part of getting older when you start uh, empathizing with the parents and the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the parents and the older characters instead of the kids all the time. But I really like the mom. I really think the mom, you know, if they had given her a chance, you can see like if this movie hadn't ended so tragically, you know, maybe. 15 years in the future. Oh, they're all close again. It was a nice change of that trope of that the incompetent mom or the or incompetent parents, which is what I thought the movie was going to originally set her up and set the dad up to be, which the dad, you know, dad, is, yes. he is. But like she being like, let's fucking go. We like we're going to make this work was pretty cool to see it by the end. So speaking of the mom and the dad being sort of just a non-entity, like when they had that conversation, when Bridget sort of distracts the mom by being like, what do boys want? Um, <laughs> Direct quote from the mom, men are pretty much all the same. (laughs) (laughs) This movie doesn't have anything good to say about men at all, you know? According to this movie, men are all pretty boring. They just want sex. And like, that's about all there is to it, which is not something that you see in in horror movies that often. Obviously, you know, men are a little bit more complicated than that, but it's a funny dynamic in the movie, I think. This movie just is so straightforward and brutal about how much traditional gender roles and patriarchal bullshit sucks for women you know yeah okay you're the woman so you're just expected to like be the gatekeeper of sex right and like you gotta do enough to entice them but not too much that you become a slut this is how you get a man once you get a man all they're gonna want to do is just have sex and that's it you know they don't really care about your feelings it's pretty brutal about how that expectation especially at that time when we were you know i mean it it was 20 years ago it wasn't the stone ages but it definitely wasn't as progressive i think as things are now how those attitudes played out but i mean there's still issues now with that even uh even where we are but to that point speaking
into the movie, like, not hiding at least the surface level text. Isn't it Ginger who straight up tells her sister, like, I had sex with Jason. Jason's going to be treated, like, as this cool guy who, like, just bangs everyone. And I'm going to be treated as, as a slut now because that's the way the world works, at least in high school. I think what she said specifically was, I'm just going to be another lay, just another lay. Yeah, the movie's not trying to hide what it's saying in any way. I completely agree with y'all on that. So that's why I think it's so interesting. It shows the bind that Ginger and Bridget and women in general are put in of how they have to walk that line to be, you know, respected and try to fit that mold that they want to be. But then again, it still comes back to ultimately Ginger is the villain, right? Mm -hmm. Even though the movie is aware how walking that tightrope is restrictive, how those expectations of women are restrictive, Ginger still gets punished for breaking out of it. She still is the villain in the end. Which I I think is purposeful. I don't think it's the movie making a mistake. I, I think it very much was written that way for that very reason to like, point that out that you can't win yeah well and also too it happens random chance there's this animal that's going around and killing dogs in the neighborhood which by the way this movie really commits the sin of murdering the pet <laughs> yeah. uh multiple times but yeah i wrote down how bad does this opening scene alone break does the dog die.com <laughs> yeah i know right well so like yeah trigger warnings not only like is there stuff about suicide like right off the fucking bat because they're suicide projects uh also trigger warning about doggies getting killed but you know there's this thing going around around killing the dogs in the neighborhood, right? Well, one night they decide to sneak out to, like, get revenge on their bully by actually kidnapping her dog, which I thought was funny. But, like, it's just random chance that Ginger gets attacked by a werewolf. She did nothing to deserve that. But, like you said, Heather, multiple times, she gets punished anyway for breaking out when the transformation starts taking place. Or the curse, if you want. Like, (laughs) I thought it was a pretty clever scene. Like, right before the werewolf actually attacks them, she has her first period, and she goes, Bridget, I have the curse. I thought that was a great line. And then the werewolf attacks her. Speaking of like the traditional like horror stuff, if you want a pretty good werewolf movie that is genuinely has some terrifying moments, like if you're a horror newbie, like I think it'd be a pretty good movie to watch because it'll probably scare you by the end. But I also think it's not too intense that like you can't sit through it or you have to like look away too often. I love that it does the thing that I think even American Werewolf in London did where you don't actually see the werewolf sometimes. You just see it. People get getting dragged out off screen and just hearing them scream and you just hear the noises or you like only catches glimpses of the creature until towards the very end when you finally see like really at the end yeah. yeah the full creature effect which is fucking awesome and gnarly ginger in full wolf form because it's wolf like in only like the smallest of details but otherwise it is like a fucking mutant monster she has wolf titties yeah like, she has can wolf we titties. just say that while <laughs> she, she has wolf titties like yeah. <laughs> while she is transforming there's a scene towards the end where they're at the halloween party She's not gone full werewolf yet, but she's kind of taking her shirt off for the drug guy, whatever his name is. Yeah, she's got the, like, platinum hair at that point and the Klingon brow. Yeah, and she's got, like, dog tits. Yeah. (laughs) It's so great. Yeah, the the drug guy was Sam, who was played by Chris Lemch. And I swear, that guy was all over the early aughts, mid-aughts. I know I've seen him in a whole bunch of shit. I think he was in one of the Final Destinations, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's in Final Destination 3, along with Jesse Moss, who played Jason. He was in Goosebumps, which so was Catherine Isabel, just in different episodes. But he was also in David Cronenberg's Existence, which that's one thing that I do appreciate about this movie more so than a lot of other werewolf movies is this 
is like heavy, heavy on the body horror aspect. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Werewolf shit. Most werewolf movies, it's all about the like one time sudden transformation where you go from like a hundred percent human to a hundred percent werewolf in the full moon or whatever. There's no real in between. In this movie, it's a, an entire like month long buildup where everything just kind of gradually, little by little, sets in. So you get all these great moments where oh shit now. Now she's got weird hair in places. Okay. I love now that. she's got fingernails. Okay. Now she's got teeth. Now she's got her fucking werewolf highlights. Little by little, yeah. it's stuff like that. And obviously, like the little nub and tail is the worst, grossest <laughs> goddamn thing. I love the scratch on her shoulder, like the claw marks that start growing hair. Yeah. Out of it. That's great. Yeah. Like the hair starts at the wound. That's really cool. Yeah. And by the end, too, like the actual like full werewolf transformation, what's cool about it is it's not what is in my head or like even what's traditionally like in people's heads when they think werewolf but it is extremely effective for what this movie's doing like in the terms of like literal body transformation horror yeah it's more furless like it's a lot more skin than i was expecting it's more cryptid looking than other werewolf designs yeah it doesn't go full this is a just actual wolf nor is it a wolf that walks on two, two legs. legs yeah this is still a like on all fours kind of thing but yeah like you said it's way more like a weird misshapen naked human with a giant pit bull head yeah it's got the weird kind of look to it it's also um, clearly feminine which is something yeah. that i don't yeah. think i've ever seen in any other werewolf movie yeah yeah her version definitely is so i watched some of the special features where they kind of show the creature designs and the initial beast of bailey downs werewolf whoever that was you know they show the design for that and that is more of a traditional gray covered in hair kind of werewolf and then yeah the ginger version of it is definitely like paler and slimmer and has actual wolf titties like we were joking about (laughs) less hair like it's definitely more of a like slender kind of design but it's still like a weird feral creature david cronenberg being the like patron saint of canadian horror everybody involved in this movie at some point in their commentaries or their behind the scenes shit or interviews literally every person was like well david cronenberg was a big influence (laughs) on us with his body horror shit and so yeah like that's why this movie kind of has that characteristic but that's one of the things I do like about it because yes so many werewolf movies you have the main transformation scene where you have your big time to show off the makeup effects and then that's kind of it this movie is like stages little by little and it gets more and more and more intense and it gets weird. And you, you know? don't really see her go full, full wolf form. It happens off screen. You just hear exactly. it. Exactly. You kind of see glimpses of it in the back of the van. Yeah. yeah. But that's it. Going back to the actual horror of this movie, like the wolf attack in the beginning was genuinely terrifying, like pretty good jump scare. While Sam and Bridget are in the uh, pantry hiding from Ginger in her house, Sam just getting pulled out suddenly out of the pantry. And then slammed against the pantry door. Yeah. Yeah. All that was terrifying. And then the actual reveal of full Ginger Wolf was also terrifying. This is one of the best werewolf anything I've seen. Ginger Snaps in general. Like this is definitely would be top werewolf movies of all time in my mind. For both the horror and the subtext in general. And just the acting, everything about it. I really enjoyed this movie. I thought Emily Perkins and Catherine Isabel were phenomenal as the sisters. 
It's kind of interesting that they were also in the two sequels. Well, one's a prequel. Yeah. It's interesting that like they stayed on this project. I know they are doing a Ginger Snaps TV show now. At least it was announced. And so I wonder if they'll be involved in that project in any way. I don't know that I'd heard about yeah. that. Weirdly enough, I wonder what the status of that is. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, it was announced back in October 2020 that it was in development, the TV series. Oh. But, you know, COVID hit. So, like, who the hell knows? Yeah. yeah. Full disclosure, Aaron and I have not watched watched the prequel or the sequel i've Have only not. seen this original yeah and part of me is interested to watch the other two just to sort of see where they go and then the other part of me is just this is perfect you know <laughs> yeah i know the sequels are pretty rough so it's kind of one of those do i want to taint this movie in my head with more story that in my head is just going to be like weird fanfic essentially of where the story goes and do i really need all that rattling in my head as i enjoy this first movie or just not bother so i will say i looked up a little bit about them the the response from the like horror community and even sometimes the critics was more positive than I was expecting. And I did read the synopsis for the second movie. It didn't sound better than this movie, <laughs> but it did seem like it went in an interesting direction, I will say. But, you know, I don't know because I didn't watch them either. I just only read the plot synopsis for two. Um, and then I know that the third movie, the prequel, actually takes place in like the late 1800s or 1800s yes. or something. So I have no idea what that movie's like. But I had a feeling this movie was good just because Aaron and you've talked it up a lot and I know Heather you really liked it I didn't expect for it to be this good and I didn't expect for it to be this scary and I didn't expect the ending to punch me in the gut as hard as it did because it is yeah. while it's not as shocking as Excision's ending it is it still ends heavy in a yeah. way arguably just as dark and heavy by the end I saw that it was directed by John Fawcett who also co-wrote the film with Karen Walton I was reading that Karen Walton was initially kind of not interested in writing this movie or helping write this movie because of at the time the treatment of women in horror movies and she wasn't a fan of that but it was actually John Fawcett who like really convinced her and kind of pitched it to her being like no no this is going to be a very feminist text heavy horror movie and that's kind of like what helped her come on board but Aaron I did want to ask you what both of them have gone on to do John Fawcett and Karen Walton and if they've done anything else in horror so Fawcett has I think exclusively from what I saw stuck to TV same with Karen Walton so lots and lots and lots of Canadian TV for both of them John Fawcett did episodes of Xena and Queer's Folk and the Blade TV show I, f- I fucking forgot there was a Blade TV series yep Karen Walton <laughs> yeah. also worked on Queer's Folk probably the same episodes if I went to go look it up they both worked on Orphan Black which Tatiana Maslany is the like lead of that show she's basically the third lead in Ginger Snaps 2 and isn't she now going to be She-Hulk? Is that the actress that was? She-Hulk, yeah. Yep. So yeah, they've mostly stuck to doing TV, but they have, you know, worked together again later as time's gone on. And it's interesting, again, to see, like, where some of the crossover is for the cast, too. Because, like I mentioned, you know, Canadian film and TV is a fairly tight-knit community. So the people that you work with, you tend to work with more than once just by happenstance, right? But yeah, like, Emily Perkins specifically... Mostly known for playing the young version of Beverly Marsh in the It TV miniseries. She was also in Insomnia, some episodes of X-Files... She was in Juno, Extraterrestrial. Jesse Moss, who played Jason, again, is also in Extraterrestrial. And then she was in episodes of Supernatural, which Catherine Isabel is also in Supernatural. So there's a lot of crossover with the cast. 
Catherine Isabel is kind of the main one in terms of people who have stuck in horror. She's ginger in this. Catherine yeah. Isabel is kind of the main one. Yeah. She's done a shit ton of TV, but she did Goosebumps. She was in Disturbing Behavior. She was in the TV remake of Carrie. Josie and the Pussycats. She was in Bones, which I brought up a while back and I fucking loved. She was in X-Files, Insomnia, Freddy vs. Jason, American Mary, which is the uh, Sasuke sisters. She was in the Hannibal TV show in a very fun role. She's been around horror for a long time. Weirdly enough, apparently Sarah Polly and Natasha Leone were also originally offered the role of Ginger. And, you know, everything that I read was like, okay, both Perkins and Isabel, like, auditioned on the same day. They auditioned together, and the chemistry just a thousand percent worked and made sense, and everybody was on board instantly. They went through a really, really long casting process to find both of them. Right. They went back and forth between, like, okay, we have somebody cast as Bridget, now we have somebody cast as Ginger, and they just don't work for whatever reasons, right? But, like, having the two of these actors together and I read a blurb like I don't know how true this is that they were born in the same hospital and they went to the same elementary school and high school all growing up and they went to the same acting school like you know all this like random coincidental shit between them and back in 1985 a serial killer named Michael Myers came and killed all their (laughs) friends and they're the only survivors you know Natasha Leone I guess could have been interesting in this role but Catherine Isabel like so 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 works as Ginger and she had has such a believably mean and angry edge where you really do feel like she could probably fuck you up a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody can pull that off, male or female. It doesn't matter, like, who you are necessarily. Like, some people believably are scary. And Some people don't pull that off, right? She has that sort of mystique and intrigue that kind of makes you want to watch her and so when the whole school is sort of interested in her turn and kind of you know what's going on she's like the talk of the school you can believe that because you're interested in watching her too yeah and yet another horror movie where high school is horrific yeah (laughs) really the other interesting thing too and i guess i'm bringing this up because again it does inform a little bit about the making of this movie and some of the struggles that they had but also because we brought it up on the last episode with the wolfman so you know we've talked about movies having really really rough openings because they were against some real life tragedy right well as they were shopping this script around and trying to get it cast columbine happened and then there was also a school shooting in alberta both of those things kind of set everybody on edge a little bit and the canadian film community was a little bit like okay we don't know about this fucking script going around right now about teenagers fetishizing suicide Side and killing each other and all this other shit. Maybe we don't need to do this right now. Right. Keep in mind too, Canada is one of those countries where like the state funds movie productions. Like taxpayer money was going toward making this movie. <laughs> and so a lot of people were like, oh, we don't know about having taxpayer dollars go toward a movie about teenager violence, right? And so the movie had to kind of fight that immediate uphill battle of people getting cold feet and not wanting to make it. 
you know, granted, that is an after effect, but before the movie comes out. So it's a slightly different situation than we talked about with Wolfman, where fucking Pearl Harbor happened, and literally everybody was like, I need a fucking unplug from the world. Let me go see The Wolfman. Yeah. And that movie was like a massive success, right? It's interesting because, you know, there's so many other movies. Idle Hands is another one. You know, that movie came out the same day as Columbine, I think. And immediately everybody was like, yeah. no, we're not seeing this fucking movie about teenagers and death and all this. Even at our young age, I remember that movie having like a lot of bullshit around it controversy because of Columbine. Yeah. You know, I think one of the reasons this movie works as a movie for teens and about teens is because this is not a movie that like disrespects teenagers at all. Absolutely, yeah. They're portrayed with rougher edges, right? You know, there's conflict between their parents. Some of them are doing drugs. You know, some of them are drinking and having sex. But this movie is so straightforward about a lot of that. Earlier, I was sort of giving, you know, our current day credit for being a little bit more progressive. But how many movies have you seen today that talk bluntly about female masturbation? Yeah. I fucking love that moment. And how many movies today can just show somebody on their period? You know, show period underwear. Even mention periods. Yeah. Even now, there's really not many. And let me tell y'all, uh, it was a breath of fresh air to see the teenage characters. And, you know, some of them were shitheads still because teenagers are shitheads. It was a breath of fresh air to see a movie like how they handle teenage characters after yeah. fucking watching Halloween 5, 6, and H2O and Resurrection. I don't know, like... <laughs> The ages of the actors at the time but like at least most of them felt a believably teenage in this you know the movie has real teenage characters dealing with real teenage feelings you know they're in school they're doing schoolwork, having issues with angst and depression and conflict with their parents and trying to figure out where they fit in and you know it's got anger it's got just horniness you know yeah. <laughs> all those things that you're going through yeah. as a teenager confusion and horniness <laughs> yep and i love how straightforward it is about that and i think that has to be a feature of having a female writer you know yeah. just being willing to go there and not shy away from any of that even thinking yeah. back on like my teenage years a lot of that was straightforward among all of us teenagers so yeah i think that's just good writing in general on her end kind of going back to what heather mentioned earlier too about you know the movie not having a lot of good things to say about men as well i like specifically and i was watching some other special feature thing where they like bring this up but i like specifically that the movie fundamentally does not revolve around boys right like it is a movie about girls but then it's still about boys they are not spending the entire movie trying to get laid or get a boyfriend right that is not the means of fulfillment for either of the characters. I mean, think about how many, like, shitty teen movies. It's just all about, like, a group of dudes, and they're trying to get laid. That's basically the movie, and there's not really anything more to it than that. Thanks, American Pie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and even American Pie, like, tries to fucking cheat at the very, very end of the movie and be like, well, they all learned lessons. I mean, not really, because then there's three other fucking sequels that just reiterate and rehash all the same shit again. You know, but, like, specifically, boys are often roadblocks and obstacles in this movie. Like, they are getting in the way of things. They're getting in the way of the story. They're getting in the way of, you know, the characters' progression and everything else so like it's interesting that like yeah they just are roadblocks one way or the other and that they are not there to do the decision making and to fix things either you know sam is helpful sam helps them figure out some of the werewolfy shit he's not always right though he's not there to save the day and that's why i love because like 
he's quote unquote the best guy in this movie, but even he is like he's still a shithead. Yeah, yeah a shithead <laughs> drug dealer, and he's not always right. Yeah, I do think he had good intentions. I guess is the best like description of yeah. him. Yeah, and I appreciate too that like they don't try to force any kind of romantic relationship between him and Bridget. Yeah, especially because Bridget's also like the little sister, and frankly, they're both younger because they talk about like Sam being older. He's clearly not a high school. He's not going to the high school. He works at the fucking greenhouse yeah i took it as he was like an 18 19 year old either dropped out or graduated already but he never left town and he's still friends with all the high school kids because he gives them all their pot so like i'm glad that there was not a forced romantic relationship between them because that just would have been weird like there's a mutual respect between them because they both see like oh this person is also smart and they get it and there's that initial weirdness between them where he's kind of awkward talking to her and she's definitely like staring at her feet talking to him the entire time but they kind of have at least that friendship bond of oh i found some other weirdo a different kind of weirdo but some other kind of weirdo that i can work with and i like that even with ginger kind of taunting uh more bridget but both of them of like oh do y'all want to fuck even despite all that both of them are also not interested in each other and the movie kind of makes it clear that they aren't one of the more interesting parts of it is like when ginger is kind of starting to go full wolfy during the halloween bash at the place that he works at she like tries to seduce him in the bedroom and he finally like pushes her off he's like get the fuck off me and i thought that was an interesting scene because the way i expected that scene to go given all the other trappings of movies in general is either they bang and then she kills him or she just kills him eventually kind of jennifer's body style and it kind of subverts that altogether by him actually pushing her off him and then like continuing to deal with the problem of you're turning into a fucking werewolf what are you doing and i thought that was an interesting way for the scene to handle that because like lesser movies would have taken that in a more poorly aging direction i'd say so one thing that people talk you know about wanting strong female characters in movies for some people they see that very limited and I think that's been sort of a cultural conversation we're having about female characters is you know when you say strong female characters you're thinking badass exactly the Joss Whedon version of a strong female character snarky fights and is hot girl you know (laughs) that is the strong female character right or or the james cameron version which is literally just all the same things that the dude character would be doing but with tits yeah but i think what most women really want is characters that are multifaceted right and that's one of the interesting things about ginger although i find her extremely sympathetic for reasons that we talked about earlier at the same time she is getting to be a villain too you know we're seeing all sides of her we're seeing the side of her that loves her sister we're seeing the side of her that's funny we're seeing the side of her that's creative even if a little fucked up (laughs) but at the end we get to see her become a villain too and so it's interesting to get to see a character that plays all those roles you know what i mean like in that scene she is doing something bad right she's coming on to this guy that doesn't want her to there's no way to to spin that like that's bad well even before that where she fully transgresses really is at the school where she kills the guidance counselor yeah and granted we can all probably agree that guy was a dope and was just gonna be fodder anyway but like she does just straight up fucking kill him and then she's like well i don't know i just fucking killed him massacred the shit out of him too (laughs) yeah and then it even crosses a further line where she kills the janitor guy but that's the one where like it really really crosses the line Mm -hmm. because then it becomes oh but i do this because i fucking like to it gives me pleasure i enjoy fucking murdering people it gives me a thrill it's literally like masturbating and seeing fucking super 
supernovas for the first time, like that whole speech that she gives. That's where you realize, like, oh, you're fucked. You're not coming back from that. You've crossed that line yeah. fully. It's the force of nature speech. Yeah. yeah. It almost felt like a wrestling promo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's definitely, like, where she fully crosses the line and becomes full villain is where, not, okay, you didn't just accidentally kill, what was her name, Trinity. Trinity? Trina? Trina. Trina. The, yeah, the bully. Yeah. yeah, you didn't just accidentally kill her, you know, like happens in a lot of other movies. We're like, oops, now we got to figure out what to do with this body. And then it wasn't, well, mm, this other thing happened because this person was trying to hurt me or trying to hurt Brit. No, this is just straight up, oh no, I fucking murdered him because I thought it would be a blast and it was, you know? And you sort of see her trying to justify it to herself. Totally. Especially with the janitor. She's like, oh, I didn't like how he looked at you. Yeah. But we don't see him actually do anything to Bridget. You know what I mean? That's all in her head. And so it's sort of her way of trying to make it okay when it's not. Yeah. Well, two things to that, too, is that that's very much reality serial killer talk in terms of how certain serial killers get their kind of sexual pleasure from that kind of murder. But then the second thing about that is it takes all that and it kind of does sort of the same thing even that Jennifer's body did, where it does it from a female perspective. In a typical fashion, like, it would be a male teenager starting to, like, have those kind of serial killer mentality things. Even Excision does that. But instead, it lets Ginger be the one, like, give that speech of seeing supernovas when slicing a guy's throat open. That's what kind of made that scene really sinister, but at the same time, fun to watch. Because you just normally don't get that in movies and in entertainment in general. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think what works about this movie is that the characters are super interesting. Ginger gets to be full and well-rounded and show lots of different aspects of her humanity. And so when I'm thinking about, okay, a strong female character, I don't want a perfect female character, right? Yeah. You know? I like this movie and I like watching it and I like Ginger because it's interesting and she has flaws and she does bad things, but it, you really get to know her. And same with Bridget. Perfect and flawless characters don't move a story forward and they don't make a story interesting you have to have cracks to exploit in the story in order for like the character to move forward and the story to move forward so you can't just have weird example but like action movies i love all the stupid arnold shit but you know at the end of the day he's gonna be fine like he's never ever in actually any danger he's always the most badass dude in the room so you're never like oh how's he gonna get out of this one right yeah never question like is he actually gonna be able to do it right and in no reality do i I think in Commando, the villain henchman is going to kill him. It's going to go the way I think it is where he impales him with the pipe and tells him to let off steam. You know, but on the flip side, again, like dumb examples because we're talking horror shit, right? But Die Hard, John McClane is a dude and he gets fucked up through that entire movie. He, like, doesn't have shoes and his feet get fucked up, right? Like, that's just one of the most basic, oh, yeah, now you're limping everywhere, your feet are bleeding, and you're just fucking miserable through this entire movie. You know, it's, like, way, way, way more grounded and believable in that sense. But his vulnerability moves the story forward. And his vulnerability, like, pushes him as a character forward. So, yeah, you have to have multiple facets to a character and there have to be imperfections in order for, like, the movie to work. Yeah, absolutely. It's all that. And I love that finally, like when all else is failing, Bridget does kind of a thing that makes sense even in a moment of like a intense emotional drama and stress. 
does the thing where like slices her hand open, slices Junior's hand open, puts it together and be like, no, I'm committed to us. I'm committed into like making this work somehow and saving you. That's such a powerful scene because it's not probably the best answer to the problem, but it's her last ditch effort chance to like convince Ginger that like, I'm not trying to fuck you over. I'm not trying to like get you imprisoned as a monster. Like I'm trying to save my sister. Let me show you how deep our bond is. Um, And the tragic thing is even that fails. I love that. I really do. Because even though this movie does show conflict between the two of them, clearly they, they spend a lot of the movie yelling at each other. But when it comes down to it, they are there for each other. And that sister bond is the driving force of the movie. And that is what makes the end such a gut punch. It's sad to lose Sam. That sucks. But then towards the end when Bridget has stabbed Ginger and Ginger is dying, but Bridget goes up to like lay on Ginger's dying body like that is sad as fuck. Yeah. You know, that's rough. Yeah. And the movie cuts as the body stops breathing, like as the movement yeah. of the chest goes down and doesn't go back up. Yeah, it's a fucking gut punch ending. We haven't even talked about the pacing of it. The pacing of this movie is great, but the thing is the last 15 minutes leading up to like that gut punch ending are like straight horror. Yeah, nonstop, yeah. Being stalked by a werewolf in the basement and real well done traditional horror tropes. That whole scene with Sam bleeding out and like Bridget kind of tries to save him by like drinking his blood because she's also been infected by that pact that she tried to do. And then kind of like her having revulsion about it and then full wolf ginger like losing her temper and just fucking murdering sam brutally like biting his fucking neck and that whole giant chase you have all that like that's like non-stop thrill ride and then it ends with that super tragic death um and then you're, you're left like the movie leaves you hanging with ginger's dead and bridget's still infected now and yeah where does this go and sam who was her buddy in like trying to figure out the curse and the cure is fucking dead it's hinted that the cure might work because she stabs uh what's his fuck in the neck and like he starts going back to normal yeah Yeah, jason but like you don't know if that fully worked on jason either because the movie never really explores it after that some say pamela is still at the party to this day (laughs) you don't see what happens to the mom at all well and i had another thing because like uh, during that party scene like when ginger arrives like she grabs that random guy and makes out with him is that person now technically in Infected. Yeah, true. <laughs> so is that another werewolf? Depends. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are a lot of deleted scenes. There's 25 minutes worth of deleted scenes and alternate take stuff on the Blu-ray. So you do find out more about what happens to Jason. Like he does kind of start to revert. So he is kind of gradually becoming more, you know, of his normal douchebag self again. And he's at the Halloween party hanging out. The scene where, again, Pamela, the mom, goes in to the party and she just kind of sees the girls off in the distance running out of the party at that point there is a scene where the police show up and they're there for jason right because they're going to take him off for like killing the dogs the mom kind of steps in the way and is like hey officers actually you know that missing girl that everybody's been looking for uh here's her fingers i killed her it was me ha 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 take me away run girls run get away from here and she like basically tells them to like get the fuck out go run away live your own lives and then she takes the rap for like the teenage girl's death so even that to your point about how dark and tragic the ending is on top of all the other stuff you already mentioned 
if we really look at the deeper canon of the movie, now the mom is going to fucking prison for the, you know, fake murder of the other girl. Well, it's interesting you brought up the deleted scenes shows Jason kind of reverting. So kind of spoilers for the sequel, because it's a, I believe it's a direct sequel to this movie. I vaguely know what it is, yeah. That Bridget is still infected and that the monkshood extract, which is like what her and Sam like kind of concocted using werewolf lore and botany, you think, okay, she takes the monk's hood and she's scared but in the sequel you find out that the monk's hood only like temporary pauses the curse kind of just slows down the transformation so bridget is still slowly transforming into a werewolf and the way they have ginger in the movie is that she sees ginger's ghost yeah she's in her head taunting her telling her like give in to the werewolf curse go full werewolf basically and that's kind of how they have them both in the movie still speaking of transformations can i just say i'm so glad this movie did practical effects instead of cg oh yeah oh yeah yeah oh man love all the practical stuff can't imagine I think if this movie was CGI, like considering how bad CGI was in the year 2000, like this movie would be probably terrible. Yeah. Well, the director, the director also said that CGI at the time was just not practical because of the cost, which great. It was too expensive for them. And it looked like shit at the time. Yeah. Perfect. Use practical effects, especially on a werewolf movie. Like, no fucking excuse. Meanwhile, you have Event Horizon that, like, uses half its budget just to have, like, a water floating in space. Well, I mean, and and to that point, I think any werewolf movie from here until the end of time and any creature feature movie in general, use as much practical effects as you possibly can. Jesus Christ, it just looks better. It still looks better in the year 2021. Still looks better. You know, as far as other little nitpicky things, during one of the school scenes, you hear a voice over the school intercom paging some students. That's Lucy Lawless, uncredited. You mean Lucy Flawless? Hell yeah. (laughs) And um, she is paging Samuel and Theodore Ramey to the principal's office. Waka waka. (laughs) Fun little in-joke right there. I love the fucking moment where Ginger gets her period in the school bathroom and then it immediately cuts to Mimi Rogers bringing out that fucking angel food cake dripping with all the strawberry shit. I have a weird thing for like movies that use food edits, you know, in really like awful kind of fucking way and that's certainly one of my favorites. Just stuff like the scene in A Christmas Story where the little brother goes in the bathroom and like perfect match cut lifts the toilet lid right as the mom is pulling the top off this pot of like nasty (laughs) cabbage stew, (laughs) right? Like this is kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, just period blood on the floor, drippy cake on the kitchen table. I remember you saying in the Bay that you love vomit scenes in movies too. Yeah. (laughs) This movie had some vomiting in it. Was that a plot? For you. Yeah, oh, the yeah. scene where Trina like fucking vomits through her fingers was great. Oh, <laughs> it's really syrup. Yeah. <laughs> Heather and I had a discussion about this, and she doesn't necessarily agree with me, but I think unfinished basements are kind of underrated if you're a teenager. If you're an adult, like we are now, we were both just like, oh yeah, I would never have a fucking unfinished basement with exposed fucking beams and electrical and all that kind of shit. You know, but if you're a teenager, the cool thing is you can go down there and do whatever the fuck you want. You can smoke and you can tear the place up. It does look like a room where you would sneak pot and like steal alcohol from your parents and fuck when they're not there. Yeah. I 
definitely like smoked a lot of weed and drank in like weird half finished houses in suburbs and shit like that. They're basically horror movie scenery. Yeah, right. Half finished basements are underrated in horror movies in general too. Yeah, but as a teen, it's totally one of those. Hey, you know, you're not gonna hurt anything. It's already like not fully done anyway. So whatever. Like I said, the vestigial tale is uh, one of the best elements that I really love. And that's so let's talk about that, too, as far as this movie as a werewolf movie. I like that the movie completely ditches a lot of the standard werewolf rules and lore and shit like that. To the point where, like, even the characters are just saying, like, it's not Hollywood shit. This yeah. should cure her. I don't know, though. Like, like let's yeah. try it. Up, oh, She might be protective. She wears a silver necklace, and the silver necklace does fucking nothing. Doesn't work. Some good old belly button trauma for Heather. She has a weird thing about belly buttons, like so that, that was the yeah. scene where she was just like, no thanks. <laughs> but yeah, like, our last episode was The Wolfman, which kind of establishes most of the, like, rules, right, for, like, how we're wolf's work and yet this movie like pretty much one by one breaks every single one of those you know even again even to the appearance of the full creature like we mentioned earlier it's a different look of the werewolf which again the behind the scenes stuff the guy who did all the effects was talking about getting the job and he was saying like oh yeah originally they like reached out to like five different makeup people and were like yeah we want all of you to come up with your own werewolf design and show them to us and we'll pick the one we like and he was like no 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 no. you're gonna get five of the same exact fucking designs how about just hire the person that you already think is going to be the best for the job and then just go from there and that person should be me and then he got the job (laughs) that's a good idea because at least yeah if you just ask five makeup people to come up with werewolf they're probably all going to look pretty similar right do you know who did the creature effects for this movie i can't remember i I should have written it down but that was interesting like if you want to come up with a different design you have to purposely seek a different design but i think that takes collaboration you know and this was clearly like everybody coming together and kind of figuring out what the ginger wolf should look like and how it should move and how it should act and how it should you know appear and that kind of thing and you would not have had that otherwise but yeah i like that like we mentioned her transformation is gradual it's over the course of the whole month and then it just you know once you're full wolf that's it and notice she didn't transform back even when she was killed ginger once she was dead like normally happens right like she's just in wolf mode so i guess what happens right like does mom and dad come home what the fuck there's like a giant wolf monster in the fucking basement that's dead like what happens well no there's gore all over the house and then there's a dead wolf monster and there's a dead boy you know like we talked about the silver doesn't really fucking work the monk's hood thing is like kind of a slightly different twist that lots of other movies have kind of done just the idea of it being like an infection a virus and not like a curse in air quotes is fairly different for werewolf stuff but the movie even keeps that open-ended because it could be either or it's never really fully explained like what it is like it's treated more disease-like i'd say sure but i would argue if it were a curse the movie would have gone in a much more supernatural occulty yeah woo-woo kind of direction and not we're looking at this from an actual science yeah i say science like in air 
air quotes science. Well, and, and like, I, I think they did that because that's like the teenage, like, oh, this botanist who grows pot will surely know. Sure. So I think they kept it a little ambiguous still in general. But yeah, it's it's definitely treated more like disease in this. Yeah. I am also very thankful that I had a mother who made me go to the store and buy tampons for her because <laughs> that is one of those things that as a grown man having to buy tampons for my significant other, you know, like I have gone to the store many times to buy tampons or pads or whatever, seeing two other guys in the same aisle, just blank staring, like what the fuck (laughs) is this? Right. Putting it on the conveyor belt at the store and being like, those are, uh, those are for my wife. Right. Like, you know, just that like, you know, weird awkwardness. I never bought them for my mom, but I went with my mom when she bought some. And then like I've dated people who either I was with them when they bought them or they asked me to buy them and they just send me like yeah. the brand they like and I was like okay but I'll say like as a guy it's good to like get that awkwardness out of the way when you're young <laughs> yes right? exactly guess what it's totally a fucking fact of life that you're gonna have to deal with for the next 30 years I had two older sisters my mom and my dad who worked a lot so like I was raised by women so yeah it was nice to have a lot of that awkwardness out of my system like or not even really even be in my system because I just grew up around it but yes I know exactly what you're talking about yeah. that scene does crack me up where Bridget's just staring at the like giant wall of female hygiene product and just blank staring like what the (laughs) fuck and i love just this one comes with a calendar (laughs) let's get this one so quick aside i am really enjoying being a father like it's been a great five months so far but i have had in the back of my mind of like oh man what if that happens what your daughter turns into a werewolf no no like savannah (laughs) is away and like she has her first period and it's me like I think I'm equipped to handle it you have a medical background you're more equipped to handle it than most people yeah Let's just put it that way I trust you <laughs> but yeah like even that scene in the movie you just described that was kind of my thought in the back of my head while I was watching it I was like what if Autumn is this confused and like I'm the person she needs to turn to in that moment because Savannah's not available at that moment and that that was kind of an interesting thing to think about from even just a fatherhood standpoint have y'all covered Carrie yet on this not yet podcast? no because you're marked for that yeah. one too I I didn't think so. Yeah, because you would have been on that one. Who are you having on besides me? But no, as long as you just at least tell her about it beforehand so she doesn't think she's dying. Yeah, (laughs) true, yes. Like Carrie. Yeah, well, I'm not just going to be like, yeah, just hide it until she's having it. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of blood, like a geyser. (laughs) Am I dying? One small critique I have for this movie, and it is a dumb fucking critique, and it's a critique I have for a lot of werewolf movies. (sighs) Werewolves get taken out way too easily. In this movie, the first werewolf gets hit by the van and like explodes. <laughs> and then Ginger gets stabbed with a kitchen knife and dies. Come on, y'all. Like, is it too much ass to turn werewolves into a little bit more of like unstoppable forces of nature? Like, all right, well, wink, wink, and we won't spoil it right now, but I think the last movie that we're going to do for this season of Spoop is going to get you right what you want. Just saying. Good, because like, I, I want to see more werewolf shit where the werewolves are really fucking hard to put down. I'm talking like predator hard or even harder than that. It does bother me sometimes, and it's one of those weird fucking just things in my head of like, when I think of a werewolf, I think of something that's like, near unstoppable and if it's stalking you you're fucked so what i thought was going to happen is that she injects her with the extract but then accidentally stabs her and that's how it ends tragically she weakens her and then stabs her i didn't expect it to just her stabbing her with the knife and that's it but it does also leave it open-ended to that point where like well she's cursed now but she still technically has a syringe yeah i will tell you my one little critique of this movie which is that poor little bridget's wig is tragique 
<laughs> so I have that as a note as well. So let's rank what's worse. Bridget's wig, Ginger's trauma werewolf highlights, Jason's cargo khakis, or Sam's wisp of a soul patch. What is our like top to bottom? Sam's best thing is the like Adam shirt that he's always wearing. Yeah, to show that I'm a smart character who knows yeah. science. Yeah, I know about science. I'm not just a pothead. Yeah. yeah. No, Bridget's wig is the worst thing. And maybe it didn't look as terrible back in the year 2000 when it was on a crappy TV, but it was not made for HD. <laughs> yeah. I will say it wasn't bad enough to take me out of the movie. Jason's whole getup was just late 90s, early 2000s as fuck, and I probably looked like that at oh, some yeah. point oh, or yeah. another, oh, so. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure both y'all did. The soul patch was like so just pathetic that it didn't even really register in my head when he was on screen. And so when Ginger gets the four silver highlights, that's a little much, but when she just has the two girl she'll yeah. be good the highlights She's... literally start at the front and like make their way all the way around to where it's like tiger stripes exactly yeah. honestly it kind of reminded me of rogue from the x-men so i fucking joked about that and i had to pull it up and show heather i am fucking convinced that rogue from x-men evolutions the like goth version of rogue is a th- thousand percent modeled after Catherine Isabel in this movie. Now that you point that out, I would guarantee you because the creators of that show were very tapped into pop culture in general of the time, and I would not be surprised if that were the case. Yeah, her like crop top with the sheer thing over it and the hair streaks and the like big baggy jeans like that is totally rogues look in that cartoon i'm a thousand percent convinced that's what that is okay so here's my uh, little connection to aaron and i have been slowly making our way through the saw franchise (laughs) he's told me yes (laughs) watching the opening credits of this movie where it's sort of out of focus and then it does sort of the screaming and like the camera shakes a little bit that's straight saw saw comes after this Somebody who did some camera and editing watched this movie and was like, this is what we need. Well, I was reading yeah. everywhere that a lot of people point this movie as like an influence on their stuff. Oh, sure. People are coming people out now. making movies yeah. now. Oh, totally. Yeah, because I grew up with this because this movie was on cable a fucking lot when we were growing yeah. up, for sure. That's how I saw it originally was just on either USA Up All Night or like on Sci-Fi Channel or something. I mean, I definitely like saw this on TV in high school. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, beyond that, yeah, I guess like the last thing I would really say is I think, you know, maybe one of the most interesting lines of the movie, and I guess kind of going back to like Heather's entire point of let's push past the obvious stuff and really kind of focus on the idea of women's role in society and like that general day-to-day oppression that you have to deal with. I think my favorite line is when they're burying the body in the playhouse and she's just going on about society thinks you can only be like one of these three things so fuck it we'll just coast on how the world works and that is such a good line it's such a sad and depressing line but it's kind of a line of dialogue that totally underscores a lot of what this movie is getting at really kind of below the surface and you know like that's easily easily i think my favorite piece of writing from this entire movie no matter like how kind of fucked up and tragic that is it just is a very like that's the button that the movie wants to really put on the whole thing yeah and it's done in such like a weird specific moment of vulnerability for both 
of them where like they're both being very honest with each other they're both literally trying to bury a body so there is like a sense of oh god oh god oh god we could be caught at any moment but they're both being very honest and blunt with each other in that moment too so that's where all the posturing and all of the I'm trying to be cool girl attitude or I'm trying to be smarter than you or whatever like drops and they're both just being very vulnerable about what they're actually afraid of and it's that but it's we have to play by that rule to get through this which Mm -hmm. is sad right yeah and there's that idea that okay you know if we coast on how the world works we just appear like these good little teenage girls who would never do anything like this and then it'll be believed right and nobody will suspect us and we'll be able to get away but then they realize they can't live that way you know that if they could if they could fit into that mold if they could do what they're supposed to do and what society tells them to do they might get out of this alive but they can't do it you know yeah Yep. Well, and my final thought, because y'all wrapped it up so well, the soundtrack. So uh, <laughs> I looked up the soundtrack that was released by Roadrunner Records, actually. Oof. You never actually hear any of these <laughs> songs, or you only hear bits and pieces of it, like in the background from time to time. But like, thank Christ, because oh boy, this soundtrack, just to give you an idea of like the artists, Kill Switch Engage. Hatebreed, Saliva, mm-hmm. Cradle of oh, yeah. Filth. The one like, that stuck out to me, and I, you know, I've mentioned this on the show, but my family was very, very churchy growing up, and it was, you know, middle school or so that I like really started kind of breaking away from oh, that. So, quick aside, real quick, uh, any of our listeners who actually like these bands, like, okay, cool, yeah, that's great. Listen to what you like. This is just my opinion. Enjoy the soundtrack of Ginger Snaps. Yeah, you'll love it. But this is like <laughs> all the music that I personally hate. So, continue, Aaron. The one that stuck out to me during my like younger years of going into like angry boy puberty phase of i'm trying to figure out what i like and don't like and like uh church right project 86 was on that soundtrack yeah i i listened to project 86 too and project 86 was one of those in air quotes christian metal groups (laughs) and uh yeah i definitely listened to some project 86 back in the day when it was christian metal so it's okay i guess and then you know there was eventually that point where i was just like you know okay line crossed i'm done with this forever bye so derek i know aaron and i both have a history of going to christian hardcore shows do you share that with us did you ever go to one of those i don't think i ever did but like so go through the soundtrack which i just dunked on i know i'm a bit of a hypocrite because like back in 2000 through like probably all the way to 2006 i definitely listened to some of these bands i listened to project 86 on my own accord not even because they were quote-unquote christian metal i just was like yeah they fucking (laughs) rock their music's pretty good so i listened to project 86 i listened to some kill switch engage i listened to some Soulfly. i listened to machine head I listened to Saliva. I listened to a little bit of Hatebreed. I tried to listen to Cradle of Filth, but even back then I wasn't a fan. But yeah, I listened to a lot of this angry white boy, like early aughts metalcore nonsense. A special time. Yeah, yeah. very special. This and new metal, like <laughs> metalcore and new metal were like all I listened to for a bit. Yeah, let's see. While y'all were doing that, I was in sync, Britney Spears. I was definitely back into the aughts pop. That was the shit I definitely listened to as well because it was so poppy and easy to remember. I just never ever admitted that everybody did listen to it yeah Yeah. everybody listened to it because it was just ubiquitous um you just didn't want to get caught listening to it on your own you know ginger and bridget would definitely have judged me for that yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) but they would have also like secretly like yeah this song's 
pretty catchy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm really glad I got to be on this episode. Like I said, I sort of have claimed it from the very beginning of this podcast. I'm glad you were. It was great to have you on for this. It was fun to finally come do it. And uh, all the listeners out there, if you haven't seen Ginger Snaps yet, hope you watch it. Hope you enjoy it. Really pay attention to the dialogue. There's lots of really like snappy, funny lines in here that we didn't even get into. Yeah, we didn't even talk about like the comedic aspects of this movie because it is borderline comedic horror. Yeah. Enjoy Ginger Snaps. Thanks for listening to me talk about it again. And uh, I will be back for Carrie (laughs) at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ginger Steps is readily available to stream at this point. Yeah. It's in a couple different places. The sequels are in a couple different places. Scream Factory actually has a really nice blue that's out with a lot of good special features on it. So this is one that's easy to get your hands on. Horror Newbies, again, I think this is a good one to watch. Like if you're trying to watch a scary creature feature movie that also is pretty smart, has a lot to say yeah. about a lot of things. I think that's going to be it. So... Once again, this is Watch If You Dare, horror movie podcast, where me, your movie monster boy, and my cowardly co-host Derek discuss horror movies and their tropes and their social relevancy and just how scary they are for newbies and horror veterans alike. You can always find us on all the podcatchers at this point. Uh, we are on everything Definitely please leave a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That is the main one. Um, But yeah, please uh, follow and rate as well. Our socials are at Watch If You Dare on Facebook and Twitter. Please check us out there. We also have our spoopy music playlist, which would be perfect for this time of year. If you need a playlist just for the evenings um, or for a party, we got a lot of good shit on there. I added something to it the other day. Still adding stuff. Um, You can find that pinned at the top of our Twitter. As always... Thanks to my little brother Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator, for the bumps, the beginnings, and ends of all the episodes. Um, you can find more of his stuff on Bandcamp at Party Gator, Opossums, and the other associated acts he has linked off from there. So check his shit out. Give him a couple bucks for some good music. Other than that, that is going to be about it. So do we have any final thoughts? It feels so good, Sally. It's like touching yourself. You know every move right on the fucking dot. After, you see fucking fireworks, supernovas. I'm a goddamn force of nature. I feel like I could do just about anything.